Okay, itane ko ono tena. How am I chiapi? Shunkwa khan am I chiapi? Itakia. Kahe, babish kage. Chilebe akchia hook. Aloje chilebe akchia hook. So, hi, I'm Jimmy Del Duca. And I, I just said hello in the Piguni, the Blackfeet language, and the uh, Lakota language, and, and the Apsalaga language. I have names in those, in those languages. And I'm a PhD student, as Molly has said, and I work at the, the intersection of indigenous culture and settler culture, European-American culture. So uh, I mean, the program says I'm going to talk about the Native American Studies Department at MSU Bozeman. That's a big story that cannot fit into 18 minutes. So I'm just going to look at one little piece of that, which interests me and I hope interests you, and that's about uh, the sweat lodges at Kelly Canyon. So uh, let's see if I can turn, turn things on. Yeah. So. Uh, Part of, part of my research and my activities has to have to do with things relating to decolonization. Everyone understands the Native Americans were here, settlers and the army showed up. That's colonization when the indigenous people are kicked off the land. That's colonization. Decolonization is when people, the indigenous people, come back. Not everyone who was in the, the lunch room was hearing, you know, on like October the 9th, I think, this, some Salish people are going to come back to the Bitterroot Valley. That's decolonization. That's one aspect of decolonization. Now, over in, in Bozeman, uh, there, was a, there was this place, Fort Ellis. Those are soldiers at Fort Ellis. And there are also indigenous people. Uh, in the Salaga language, the Gallatin area is called the Bowl. If, you, if you've been to Bozeman, you look all around and there's a ring of mountains way out on the, on the periphery of, of your vision. So it's the Bowl. And as other presenters have, have uh, well, at lunchtime, again, the, the Salish uh, people said, they have a name for Bozeman. They were in Bozeman, the Bozeman area. The Lakota would go there for bad reasons, usually, <laughs> to steal horses. Uh, the Crows were there, the Blackfeet were there, uh, the Shoshones were there. That's where Lewis and Clark and Sakakawea met her brother, I believe, at Three Forks in the Gallatin Valley. So it was a shared area. Uh, but then the soldiers showed up, and since that time, there haven't been many Native Americans there. Uh, but MSU, starting in the 60s with the, you know, the, the social consciousness change in the United States, uh, started to put more effort into including Native American students and recognizing Native American culture. And then later in the, uh, 1972, when the Montana the new constitution was adopted, it recognized Native culture and Native people. And about 1976, MSU Bozeman got a really good Native American Studies Department going with some regular coursework and that's been growing ever since. And one aspect of the growth of the MSU system 
and MSU uh, Bozeman in particular, was supporting indigenous spirituality. Yeah, no one's ever heard of that outside of the little circle there in Bozeman from my experience. That's why I wanted to share it. So up above, what you see there, those are Absalaga men in front of a sweat lodge. Crow men. In, in Absalaga language, that's what they call themselves. <coughs> uh, so that little dome-shaped structure, it's hollow inside, and people go in it and, and pray. It's, that's a church. That's a, that's a little church. Now, when the army showed up at Fort Ellis, things changed. Just my, my, some of my names, and, and uh, I fess up to being someone who works in indigenous methodology. That means I talk to people, I hear stories, I try to retell the stories. I'm mostly working with oral interaction. I, I, I compare what I'm doing with things in, in the books, but I'm not a book guy, mainly. I'm an actual go out and, and particip participatory research person. And sometimes I record it, sometimes I transcribe it, other times I'm just listening and later on trying to retell the story as I understood it, which is indigenous methodology these days. So, uh, where I want to start this circular story is with events that happened way back when. Uh, actually, it happened before Fort Ellis was, was uh, an important place. Because Fort Ellis is just east of Bozeman. Bozeman's a long way from Blackfeet country. Like 200 miles to the north is where the Blackfeet were mostly camped. But uh, in 1866, a Pecunia man named Owlchild was beaten by a, a white guy who was married to a Blackfeet woman over horses. It was deeply insulting for Owlchild. Later on, Owlchild went back and he and his friends killed this guy who was named uh, Malcolm Clark. And it started this long chain of really bad events. Uh, Owlchild and his friends fled to the camp of a someone named Mountain Chief. And this is where it gets sort of strange because it's a, it's a circle. So I'm going to sing a Blackfeet song now because this is we're talking about things that are sacred. These are spirits involved and this is the way I was taught to do it. So I have to be very careful. <clears throat> so I offered tobacco before I got here. And this is, this is going to be a ceremony. This is another thing we do in indigenous methodology. Learning is a ceremony. Talking these stories is a ceremony. So I have to be very careful so no one gets hurt. Not anyone in the audience, not me, not any of my sources. So this is a Blackfeet song. It's called the Heart Butte Mountain Song. And I was given the right to sing this by my younger brother who's named Misinski. He's a Blackfeet ceremonial leader called the Badger in his language. So. Yeah. 
So that song came to a man near Heart Butte Mountain up north. And it's a song we sing in these ceremonies, these sweat lodge ceremonies. It's the kind of song that Owl Child and Mountain Chief would have been very familiar with. Now, these are the, I don't know if they're the villains, but they are definitely not the Indians. Now, here's three photographs of Fort Ellis. There's the officer's quarters. There's a you know, standing in parade, long view. Now, when Owl Child got into trouble, Phil Sheridan ordered Major Eugene Baker to gather his soldiers together and leave Fort Ellis and head north. And they, they found Blackfeet along what the Blackfeet call in their language the Bear River. I know there's, there's another Bear River massacre in Idaho. So it's sort of it's confusing. <laughs> but this is the Montana Bear River in the Pikuni language. It's called the Mariah's River in, in English. But uh, that's where they found the village of Heavy Runner. They were looking for Mountain Chief because it was understood that Owl Child and his friends were finding refuge with, with Mountain Chief. But instead, they found Heavy Runner's village. People knew, the scouts knew this is the wrong village. Heavy Runner walked out with his treaty paper and showed it to uh, Major Baker and was shot and killed. And the reports say Baker was drunk at the time and his officers were drunk at the time and they just wanted to kill some people. So uh, anyway, it was a bad scene, a very bad scene, hundreds of people killed. And it, uh, it's created, we were talking earlier or discussing earlier in some of the other presentations about how people who have lived here for millennia have long memories. It's not a one generation goes by and it's gone. You know, the Salish people, they were looking down on the Missoula glacial lake <laughs> fourth after 4,000 years before it, it dissipated. So, so these events to Blackfeet people, they happened yesterday. It's, uh, yeah. So what's happening is what I, what I call decolonization of Fort Ellis. Because starting in the 1980s, uh, my friend Frank Caplet, he's a crow guy, he was working at the research station. Fort Ellis is now a farm, it's a research farm. And uh, they grow a lot of wheat there, and peas. Peas are very popular at Fort Ellis. And while uh, PhD agronomists are in charge, they have a lot of te technicians at a lower level. So one of those technicians was Frank Caplet, whose crow name is Amaawa Zichich, loves the mountains. That's his name. I've been in, I've known him a long time. I've been in ceremonies with him. He was living in Bozeman, had a wife and child in Bozeman. He's a traditional crow man. Traditional crow people, they want to go in the sweat lodge every week. It's strongly believed that it's good for the person 
and it's good for the place to go into the sweat lodge and get everyone together. So not just for the body, but for the spirit of the land, for the spirits of, of the family. It's a big thing. It's an important thing. So, Frank Caplet got permission in the unused area of the Fort Ellis Research Farm to put up a sweat lodge on the university property. And to me, that was a big decolonizing milestone because first one that anyone ever knows about. A reverse. You know, since the army, the army was there, no Native American ceremonies that I, anyone I've talked to have been aware of. Frank Caplet makes a, a sweat lodge. Later, now Frank's crow, later on, 1998, a Lakota man, a ceremonial leader, was living in, in Bozeman. His name's Jim Miller. He's one of the central organizers of the, uh, of the, the, the Dakota 38 Memorial Ride. They, 38 Lakotas were hung by President Lincoln, and, and there's a memorial ride for it. Jim Miller was one of the main medicine men behind that. So anyway, in 1988, he constructed a sweat lodge because there are Lakota and Nakota and Dakota people. See, that's one thing. The crows like to sweat their way. The Lakotas like to sweat their way. The Pikuni like to sweat their way. Uh, I don't know anything about Salish sweat lodges, but I would suspect they have their own way. So uh, today, there's a crow sweat lodge, a Lakota sweat lodge, and now uh, a Pikuni man who works for the university, his name is Brian King, he has constructed a Blackfeet sweat lodge. So now there's three of them. The crow one faces east, the Blackfeet faces south, and, and the Lakota faces west. So, and uh, so they're, they're, they're different, and they don't want to be you know, confused with each other. Every tribe in Montana had this. At the time of contact, it was a common way. In fact, I read the reference that one of Lewis and Clark's men was sick and giving him the, the European medicine wasn't helping him. Lewis and Clark, with the help of the people who they were camped with, made a sweat lodge and he was cured. So non-Indians have had a long history of also using the sweat lodge for, to benefit. Uh, sometimes there's conflict. Like about three years ago, the Lakota group built their fire to heat the rocks for the ceremony, and the wind came and the fire got away from them. And the fire went up the hill and caught on fire the whole crow area. <laughs> so that, that was a, a, little, a little stressful. Other times, the, crows, the crow group has had to borrow wood from the Lakota group without asking permission first. That can create animosity. One time, you know, the, Someone borrowed some blankets, so it's, it's not all fun and games and, and brotherly love. There's, you know, there's some, still some tribal rivalry a hundred years later on, and, but, but generally it's something good. But I guess that's how it is with all human beings. There's always going to be personality conflicts and, and details. So this is a, I got these images off the internet because I didn't know if anyone would feel good about local people being portrayed here. But what a sweat lodge is, is as the first 
photo showed. It's a, a covering, a dome shape with, with willow or other saplings. And then hot rocks go in the middle and water and uh, aromatic herbs will go on the rocks. And it's pitch black, absolutely pitch black. And that's because the spirits are supposed to be there. And if we can see them, they won't show up. So some people, metaphorically, it's, it's like being in the womb again. And the end of the ceremony is like being reborn. And uh, you know, the spirits are thought to actually show up. It's not a, we're praying to someone at a distance. The belief is, if the ceremony is conducted right by the right people, and everyone has their heart in the right place, the spirits are there. Absolutely there. And if you listen closely, sometimes you can hear what they're saying to us. More examples. You know, that's, that's the framework. There's some rocks. There's a covering. And this is what it looks like afterwards. You can see the steam pouring out when the door is opened. Because hot rocks and water make a lot of steam. And then afterwards people leave. There's the fire pit where the rocks were heated. There's where people, we always eat afterwards. We're just glad to be alive. Because it's, it's hard. It's terrifying. It gets dark. It's hot. It's enclosed. There's this heat. And, and there's also strange things happen. It's a very mysterious event. And it takes courage. Some people can't do it. Some people say, open that door, and they get out very quickly. Others learn to just pray hard and go all the way through the ceremony. And, that, and we think that's good. So uh, some of the leaders of the ceremony, uh, Michael Sweeney is here. He's not in the room, but he's here. He's one of the, the pioneers. For, so first, Frank Caplet. And then he was helped by Michael Sweeney, then my nephew Shane Doyle, uh, and a team man named Sh uh, Troy Stevens, also a leader there. Uh, this is Jim Miller, who I mentioned. Uh, Stan Bluehorse is not in photograph, but he, he's been a regular Lakota ceremonial leader there. And it's for students, but very few students are qualified to lead the ceremony. So it's, it's turned into just a general community thing with acknowledged medicine persons running a ceremony. This is Merle Yellow Kidney. He's a Pikuni. And uh, this, is an ac this is the actual Crow Sweat Lodge. I don't know how this photo got on the internet, but it's on the internet. That is the real thing right there. That's an altar, a pipe altar. Sometimes people bring a medicine pipe, a sacred pipe to pray with, and that's where it rests. And so then, uh, you know, most lately, Brian King uh, made a... Uh, a Blackfeet sweat lodge there on the grounds of where uh, uh, Major Baker set out to slaughter Blackfeet people. So that's a circle. It's a full circle in my way of thinking. And what made it even even sort of more mysterious, a couple years, well, about a year and a half ago, we were in a ceremony, and the medicine man, you know, they listen. And if they hear something, they share it with the participants. And this medicine man said, someone came here to be with us. He said that what we're doing is good. He's pleased. He said his name is Mountain Chief. I didn't know who that was. He didn't know who that was. Only later, only later, 
did it come up who Mountain Chief was. So I don't know how that happened, but mysterious things like that happen. And, and that's why I'm very careful. So that's the end of my, of my presentation. I just want to thank all these people who helped. These are, these are all ceremonial leaders and decolonizing in a little way. <laughs> Thank you very much.